Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Hi, all, and welcome back to The Stacks. My name is Tracy Thomas, and I am your host here. Um, I'm so excited to have you guys back this week. I have a really awesome episode with Tony-nominated choreographer Sam Pinkleton. This week, I'm joined by Broadway Tony-nominated choreographer Sam Pinkleton. Um, He's most well-known for his work on Natasha, Pierre, and the Great Comet of 1812, which was on Broadway about a year ago. He's here in LA working on a brand new production called Soft Power, which we discuss in detail, uh, which is at the Amundsen in Los Angeles. Sam and I also talk about how books work as a source of creativity and also how reading and research helps to inspire Sam's creative process. We also talk about the power of really well done true crime, which we both are huge fans of. So we geek out a little bit over that. As always, we will be sure to put all of the books we talk about, all the articles and TV shows and pop culture references in the show notes. So you don't have to worry about writing everything down. They're there for you in the show notes and also on our website, which is www.thestackspodcast.com. Okay. So let's talk. I'm so excited for y'all to hear my conversation with Sam Pinkleton. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to The Stacks. I am here today with my guest, Sam Pinkleton. Sam is a choreographer and director and just generally amazing New York City theater person. And I'm so excited because he's in town choreographing a show at the Amundsen called Soft Power. But that's all I can say. And Sam, why don't you just say hi and introduce yourself? Hi, Tracy. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. (laughs) Go ahead. Uh, talk about yourself. It's oh so easy. God, talk about myself. Um, yeah, I'm. A, I'm. I work in the theater mostly, uh, which is obviously what brings you to LA. Right. Duh. Um, love to come to LA to make as much theater as possible because this city really big on theater. Huge. Nope. Nope. Uh, and uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm so hey so. Let's see. If you haven't seen Soft Power yet, which basically nobody has because it opens soon. It actually opens today if you're listening to the podcast on Wednesday, May 16th. Um, But you were nominated for a Tony Award. I was. Tell us about that and Uh, the show. Being nominated for a Tony Award is like being nominated for prom queen. It is so (laughs) 
bizarre and awesome and i don't want to make it a small thing it's it's a it's a big thing it's a dream coming true and also it basically just means that you have to spend like five weeks eating chicken breasts in formal wear amazing um and like just like going to top shop every day to try to get like more like cheap jackets because you have to go to all of these events and and, look different and look different and and like picture taken yeah basically like campaign got it it's a enormous pie eating contest that was delightful and completely ridiculous and what show were you nominated for choreography tony i was nominated for natasha pier in the great comet of 1812 uh which we did last year on the broadway on the broadway it was a great 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 tremendous joy to to be a part of yeah, Sam has done some really cool stuff. So I, of course, will link to everything he talks about today in the show notes. And I'll link to him, too, so you can kind of look up his amazing career history. Um, so, yeah, so Sam's a choreographer. And if you don't know what a choreographer is, which, like... I don't. I, okay, well, I do because <laughs> I like I have a brain. No, um, Dancing. You're in charge of dancing movement, people generally on the stage, yeah, I keep people from running into each other, yeah. and sometimes I get to make dance moves. Sometimes it's dancing. Sometimes it's just telling actors, like, you know, keep walking till you yeah. get there. Yeah, watch out for the edge of the stage, you guys. <laughs> have you ever had someone fall off the front of the stage? No, but I have had people run into things in ways that you're like, how, how, did you not how see that? are you allowed on stage? But weren't you maybe then kind of proud of your performer for being, like, so in it? Yeah. Or were you more like... How did you graduate kindergarten? No, I definitely encourage a certain recklessness okay. in performers, which sometimes <laughs> backfires. Sure, sure. Okay, so take us through what it, how it works. Be like, how do you even get to be a choreographer of something? Like, does a director come find you? Do you have an agent? Like, how does that work? The answer is yes to all of those things. I mean, because I don't have a dance background, it is very odd that I have made the life that I have um, as a professional dance maker because I was never a dancer. Um, Well, you danced. I enjoy dancing. Sure. But I could not give you like a pointed foot. That's also true. Um, As you may know. As I know. Uh, So, so... It is, um, you know, I think of myself as a collaborator. Um, you know, I don't work in the concert dance world. I work in theater. And so, uh, you know, when somebody needs something to become a little magic or five, six, seven, eight, or, you know, whatever the thing is, I get that call. Um, the process of, of making it though is often less about dancing and more about research and more about understanding, you know, why does there need to be a choreographer? Why does there need to be dancing? Like, wh- what is the world of this thing? And uh, how do you do that research? Well, since we're on this book podcast. Oh, what a segue. Can we talk about books? I guess so. <laughs> um, no, I, I I actually do. I mean, I, I'm obsessed with research mostly because it keeps me from having to actually make anything. Got it. And I find the act of making stuff, particularly choreography, to be so utterly paralyzing and Mm -hmm. terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, So at the beginning of any process, whether it's a giant musical or a 10 second, you know, toothpaste commercial, the first thing I will do is uh, figure out kind of like what reading will help me understand the assignment or the world of it or the things that it's dealing with. And then I will make like the biggest campiest YouTube playlist that feels like a a sort of buffet of references for the project. Um, but lately, uh, as I've been kind of working on these more expansive and ambitious sort of large scale projects, um, some sort of base reading has been really, really helpful. And pretty much every show I do, there's like 
three or four or 30 books that feel like foundational texts for me. Just based on whatever the show is. Mm-hmm. So, so for example, Soft Power, which I barely, barely know anything about, but I do know that it has to do with the American experience, the American dream, but also <laughs> as seen through the Chinese lens. So what are some things that maybe you read for this? Yeah. So, so I mean, Soft Power is a, a aggressively aggressively about the moment that we're living in right now okay. it is in a sentence uh it's it's basically a a, fan, a reversal of the king and i that is um a fantasy version of the uh, story about china swooping in to rescue america uh after the collapse of democracy following the 2016 election and uh, and it's funny it's very funny. Okay. Um, and it's, 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 it's about China becoming a global superpower. Okay. Um, and it's also a love story between a Chinese film executive and uh, the American rebel leader, whose name is, of course, Hillary Clinton. Oh, of course. Um, so, so it was, as a choreographer, it was a lot of video research and a lot of like really ridiculous, like campy, fun uh, uh, movement research. But I also kind of wanted to get a... Uh, a sense of like how we are talking about this moment as mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like in it, because the, the musical is weird to believe was created in the future, looking back okay. on the moment that we're in right now. It. So it's like, what are in, in a hundred years, what will we be like? Like, what was, what was 2016? Like what was 2018? Like what were people talking about? So I've actually made it a big project for myself to read the kind of very buzzy, 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 buzzy books okay. um, that are coming out like too fast and too furious right now. Okay. Um, the headlines <laughs> being of course, like the, the James Comey book that just came oh, okay. out. Um, the Hillary, the book. Hillary book. And of course, fire, fire and fury. And fury. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, j- not, not, not only just cause they're a delight, but also just to understand sort of how we are wrapping this moment that we're currently living up into right. a story, you know, like what is the story going to be for the future? Sure. And that's actually really interesting to think about text as they come out, especially nonfiction, like especially things that are current to think about them as being the historical record, right? right? Cause in 20 years when people look back and they read that Hillary book, it will be the historical text of what 2016 was, even if in 20 years from now we think about 2016 differently. Right. I mean, it is it is the mythology that we're creating. Sure. That's and they're so also be, they're coming out so quickly. Like all three of those books, I would say, like by the time I read them, which was almost immediately after they came out, there were things about them that felt dated. Sure. It's like, oh, this piece well, of information yeah. no longer rings. And especially with the way that the news cycle it just gets faster and faster, which not to segue too much, but just to throw out, Sam and I read for book club for next week, um, Vulgar Favors, which is a book about the assassination of Johnny Versace and Andrew Cannon. And, and I know th- something that I plan to talk to Sam about is that how dated the book feels now in 2018 when it was written in 1999. So it's interesting to think like that's always been a thing, but a lot of these kind of books, we read them right away and then we kind of never look back on right. them because it seems they seem dated. Like the thought of reading the Hillary book now, I'm kind of like, I was two years ago. For like, sure. Who cares? Well, and it's amazing when you think about like what books in that genre do endure. Like what actually right, can you look like back the autobiography of like Malcolm X. Oh my gosh, or right. Nelson Mandela's right. um, a long a long walk, something like that. I have it. A long walk to freedom. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> Thank you, bookshelf, for always being there for me. Um, okay, okay. So that that's interesting. Did you do any reading about China itself? 
as a global superpower or its history or yeah, anything? Yeah, of course. Um, of course. Of, I cover my bases. Sure. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I mean, the, the thing about this idea of, of China, so soft power is a very real concept that I think we're hearing more and more about every day in the news. Some people are like, yeah, obviously soft power. And some people are like, what is that? Mean? I've never heard that phrase. Um, soft power is uh, uh, inf- uh, influence that is not necessarily attached to money or weapons. Okay. So um, culture, largely culture. Um, America has so much soft power. Right. Uh, China has less soft power. Uh, Many say because of, of course, the uh, restrictions and censorship and the sort of uh, tightness of culture. Sure. Uh, I cannot claim to be a scholar of Chinese economics or culture, but I have done some, you know, I, I've been immersed in this. Sure. Um, it, it is such a rapidly developing conversation because mm. every day the um, the China and America relationship becomes more complicated, and also China's rise as a, if not the global superpower, is getting more intense by the day. Um, so it's it's the internet and it's magazines. I mean, if okay. you look at this month's Atlantic, New Yorker. Uh, and Time Magazine, there are all articles that are, like, the headline is basically like, will China become the world leader in soft power? Like, this month. That's so interesting. I've never, okay, we have the Atlantic, we subscribe, and I just haven't picked it up yet this month. It is, it's pretty wild. I mean, I think, like, to to the point of, like, the mythology we're creating, like, I think in a year, everybody's going to be walking around being like, oh my gosh, China has so much soft power. But right now, people are like, soft power? Is that like It's kind of like when Black Twitter came out, and people are like, Black Twitter is, yeah. that like, is like the bird black. And yeah. now everyone's like black Twitter. Duh. Yep. Exactly. Okay. That's interesting. Or it just sounds like a brand of sheets. Currently. Yeah. Soft power. Sure. Yeah. I'm so into it. Um, okay. So I actually do have kind of a specific question for you about um, your creative process. Are there any books or texts that you go back to or use every time or often when you're creating that are books about the creative process itself? Like, are there things that kind of inspire you or books or it doesn't have to be a book, a movie, a TV show, songs or something that are kind of like your safe place? Because you said it can be kind of paralyzing to create. So yeah. are there things that you kind of rituals or anything like that that helps you to do that? There there definitely are. There's a few. Um, there's a few books that were kind of foundational for me that I return to when I'm panicking. Um, <laughs> one is is one that I think is a very common answer for people who do what I do, which is um, Twyla Tharp's book, The Creative I Habit. I loved that book so much. It, it, it's it's real. And it's amazing because, you know, she's she's a legend. She, I do not always connect to her work, but the way that she sort of systematizes process and acknowledges that um, we are all like staring into a void of terror uh, is is so helpful and meaningful. And the idea of actually just like creating structures to move through that, no matter how you feel, um, I highly recommend it. So, uh, and her work. If yeah. you've never seen like her stuff, like moving out. Oh my God. I saw it three times on Broadway. I, I died. I saw it like it was my yeah. favorite. Uh, I'm an, I would, people, listeners, hi, welcome to the show. You might not know this about me, but I was a dancer once and I am a lover of dance. I, to dance, I just love it. You're I a lo- dance icon for me, Tracy <laughs> Thomas. So it's true. I used to that, choreograph listeners. Sam. So I am a choreographer of a Tony nominated choreographer, <laughs> which makes me a Tony nominated choreographer. I think you're double nominated. Yeah. I am a winner. Um, but Twyla Tharp's 
to have watched her work and then to have read the book, it really speaks to the power of committing to the creative process and rigor and just like you have to like sweat and work and it's not it's not fun sometimes and and also like i'm such a believer i always say this to people that i'm working with like i don't know that i actually believe in things like inspiration or even creativity sure like i kind of think those words are fake like the thing i believe in is like putting in the work right and and like continuously being in motion and i think the that book especially just like really uh it demystifies the whole thing. You don't believe in creativity. You're one of the most creative people that I know, which is maybe why, because maybe you don't see it. I just don't believe in like staring at a cloud and being like, I know how to do it now. I feel sure. like I, I just think that rigor is real. Like I sure. think that that I think that creativity as an idea is really dangerous because yes. I think it sometimes can let you off the hook. Sure. And it is part of why I love kind of books that that are about unpacking uh or it's just like making that less um, oogie boogie, you know? Right. Okay. Because, yeah, you're very creative. But I guess what you're saying is like you believe more of like just you put a thing in motion and you just keep adjusting it and like you keep doing the work over and over until it just clicks for yeah. that moment. And, and if you and had might, more time, maybe you would keep changing it. Yeah. And it might be terrible right away. And then there's like a process to that. Yeah. People don't know this. And especially about the theater, it's terrible in the beginning. Always. It's always it's humiliating. Bad. And if it's good in the beginning, it's bad when it opens. And if you feel great about what you're doing, it's that terrible. is a that is a you giant warning sign. Yeah. yeah. Which I think maybe translates to other art forms and maybe other parts of work and stuff like that. But if you feel really good about something in the theater, it's bound to be ruined. I think it's definitely <laughs> true. I mean, actually, the to, to your question, the the other or one of the other books that's really important to me is uh, this book, Interviews with Francis Bacon, okay. who is a painter, okay. an amazing painter. Okay. Um, and it's basically just him talking about his process. And it's the same thing. Like, it's about being, like, gripped with terror. Sure. And also, uh, he talks a lot about, like, if he makes a painting, uh, what is the thing that he actually wants you to see? And like often he'll hmm. just like put an arrow next to the thing that he wants you to see just to make sure that <laughs> make sure, you see it. Are you seeing this thing? Yeah, which I just like love. Like I sure. love the the sort of obviousness in 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 that part of making work. Um right. so I I try not to just be in the land of, you know, dance makers and theater makers. Cause sure. I think ultimately, first of all, everybody has a creative impulse. Right. And also we're all just like struggling with the same crazy shit on this planet. Right. Right. That's so true. Can I say crazy shit on this podcast? I think so. Okay. I mean, listen, I love to swear more than anything in this world. So yeah. I'm sorry. I don't care. I think we're explicit. If we're not, I'll make sure this one is. Uh, (laughs) um, Okay. So I'm really excited. So uh, just a little background before I ever launched an episode of this podcast and I came up with this idea, I said to myself, who do I want to have on the show? And the first person I thought of was Sam Pinkleton. And you might say, why? Why have a weirdo choreographer on? And the reason is because Sam and I knew each other long ago when we went to college in New York and we created a book club. And besides the Stacks book club, it is the only book club I've ever been in. And you might think, wow, they created a book club and invited all their friends. Nope. Nope. Mm -mm. (laughs) We created a book club for two people which is actually the basis of the Stacks podcast, which is I don't want to have a book club where I have to hear from Nancy because Nancy didn't even read the book, first of all. She read the Wikipedia. Yeah. Nancy got the cliff notes 
And she also like didn't ever want to read the book. So she walked in with her like deviled eggs and her bad attitude. Yeah. So instead, Sam and I picked books that we wanted to read. We did not tell Nancy. We also ate at Chipotle almost every single time. That's right. And we discussed books. And books that nobody else wanted to read. Like books about death. Books about cults. Books about cults. Books about religion. I think maybe we read one fiction ever, and I don't even know if that's true. I don't remember. I don't remember a fiction. Okay. We didn't read any fiction, and we just lived our best lives. So with all that being said, I brought Sam here. He's pretending like he's in LA to do soft power, but really he's here to do the stacks. That's right. Yes. Yes. All expenses. Soft power is subsidizing my work on the stacks. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So let's get started talking about books. We'll start with one of my favorite questions. What are two books you love? Uh, two books that I love. Th- this is impossible, but the the books that immediately came to mind are uh, Christopher Isherwood's Berlin Stories. Oh, which cabaret, right? Is, ba- is the basis for the musical Cabaret? Ugh. But like, that, like that's what people always say. But it's so much more than that. Like that is a little glimmer of it. It's basically just like a book about like a young queer guy in a crazy world getting his shit like shaken up, right. uh, which we can all connect to. And you read that book in Berlin, right? Or Amsterdam The first or time I read that book, and this is a huge part of why it's so meaningful to me. The first time I read that book, I was like a 21-year-old kid in Berlin. I remember that. And it's such a cliche. Sure. But it's also how books form who we are. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it it really it, i think i've read it a few times and every time i come back to it it's not only uh, such a wonderful book but it it reminds me of who i was at that time mm. um and it articulated much better than i ever could some of the experiences of being like a, a kid coming of age sure. especially a queer kid sure you know there's an article from the new york times um and they talk about reading books at a specific time in your life and how mm-hmm. it's important and how you can read a book too soon or too late for who you are. Like reading the Catrin Catherine the Rye at like 50 is not necessarily like when that book was meant for people you to read You have to read it. that book your senior year of high school. Yeah, I read it a little late and I hate it. Well, and I think there's a lot of books that uh, I love and I think of as being my favorite books that if I return to them now, I would actually be kind of Right. Like embarrassed. I've heard that a lot. I just read Wrinkle in Time for the first time, and a lot of people said that they reread it and they didn't like it. Yeah, I didn't like it, but I'm in my 30s, right? And like, okay, <laughs> cool. Glad that this little. I mean, I was like, I was happy to. I understand that the book is important for what it was at the time—a female author writing about a female protagonist, child, smart little girl in science fiction. And to all of that, I say like, yes, please. Yeah. But I was like, this book sucks. Yeah, that's that's. I think a lot a lot of the important books from pre twenty would be tricky now. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Um, okay, sorry. What's your second book? The second book. Uh, it, this is just like a white guy fest, and I'm really okay. sorry. It's but okay. this, the second book that came to mind is The Hours by Michael Cunningham. I've never read that. Um, it. I again, I don't know that I would love it if I returned to it. I've read, uh, but but it is. Um, it's one of the first books that I really loved that does my favorite, favorite, favorite thing, which is uh, have a story that takes place in multiple times mm. with protagonists over, you know, in, in completely different times, kind of overlapping and uh, uh, living on top of each other and within each other. And it's, it is the thing that I'm sort of obsessed with as a theater maker mm-hmm. um, of, of presenting a completely implausible time 
situation and having that carry like so much meaning. Um, and it's like a kind of about Virginia Woolf who was a badass. Um, and it's kind of about Mrs. Dalloway and it's about, you know, sexual repression and okay. suburban so you're, panic. You're into it. Yeah. And do you reread books often? I, not often, but I definitely will reread the books that I think are the most profound. Or if I'm working on a project and I'm like, oh my God, this is, reminds me of this thing that I, okay. I read for pleasure. I will read it with an eye towards, you know, work. Sure. And how does that change your eye towards work? How does it change your reading? It's just, I, I feel like if I'm reading something for pleasure, uh, I'm reading it for pleasure. And if I'm reading it for work, I'm sort of interrogating it. Got it. You know, I'll read things more than once. I take a lot more notes. It should probably be the same thing, but, you know, I love to suffer. Sure. <laughs> okay. I, please tell me you have an answer for this next question. What's a book you hate? I hate oh, On the Road. <gasps> I hate Jack Kerouac's On the Road, and I am so not ashamed to say it. I think it is the most boring. It's so boring. Thank and you for hating a book it, publicly. Oh, my God. And it, it also, like, it's one of those books that has like was, like, continuously presented to me as, like, oh, my God, you're going to love On the Road. It's about you. It's bohemian. It's the oh, East no. Village. And I was, like, th if this is what people think I am, like, I hate all of these people. I Or do you just hate yourself? I super hate myself, <laughs> but that's, that's beside the point. I, I, I just like cannot understand how that book has the love that it has. I think it is the most like limited experience of, of being alive. It's also just like, it doesn't account for anybody other than like one white guy with some change in his pocket. Okay. Um, which is funny because the book that I love so much is also about one white guy with some change in his pocket, but just got to depend on. How, how you make that white guy white, I guess. What kind of white? How, how you make that white guy white by Tracy Thomas. <laughs> That's my memoir. It's coming out <laughs> fall 2020. No big deal. <laughs> they, you know, a lot of people come on the show and they're scared to say a book they hate. Oh, I have, uh, yeah. Lists. Lists. I know you do. Me too. Come on. That's life why is we short. Have a book club. Yeah. <laughs> know your taste. It's so good to know what you hate. Yeah. Uh, hating a book, I think, says as much about the books you love and about you as loving a book. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's the last great book you read? Uh, I am embarrassed to say that I kind of loved the Comey book, but I don't know that I will think of mm. it as a great book. Okay. Um, in, 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 I don't think in five years I'll look back on it as a great book. Um, the last great book that I read is actually the Lindy West's memoir. If you know Lindy West, she's like mm. an amazing, amazing comedian and writer. And, uh, the title of the book is escaping me right now. I'll but, put it in the um, show notes. Don't worry. Great. <laughs> um, it, she just, it's, she's an overweight comedian who has come from a kind of amazing background. And, uh, this is a maybe lame thing to say, but I, uh, her experience of moving through the world as a, as a person who is shaped differently, mm -hmm. Uh, was, I would say, as heartbreaking and hilarious and illuminating as uh, reading a book about somebody from a culture that you understand nothing about. Sure. Um, and that might be a, a naive read of something, but I, I actually like that book, in addition to being like hilarious, mm -hmm. like she's so funny, <laughs> like, like, like laughing out loud on an airplane okay. funny. Um, it actually also, for me, um, opened up a well of empathy 
that I like didn't have access to and, and made me really, 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 really look at people uh, quite differently. That's interesting. I love that. Okay. I'll find the name of it. I'll link to it. Lindy White is Lindy West. Oh, Lindy West. You're going to be obsessed with her. I can't wait. Um, Okay. What are some books that maybe you're looking forward to reading? Uh, yeah, a few. My uh, husband just read this book, How Democracies Die. Oh, yeah. And he's like, really I, I mean, for like four days, he like went into that book glaze where mm-hmm. like nothing else mattered except mm-hmm. for this book. Okay. Um, and I think it's on, you know, in the in the like, let's let's figure out the mythology of the right moment now, we're in. Sure. It feels like a really good one. Um, I'm also uh, I'm excited to read this book, Citizen. The Claudia Rankin. Yes. Oh, I have that. It's on my nightstand. Um, uh, uh, which is also what – this is like my husband's book list, but okay. he's got good taste. And then uh, Kate Bornstein, who is a trans activist and oh, yeah. icon, uh, she wrote a book called Queer and Pleasant Danger, Ooh. a memoir um, that uh, I'm very excited about. It's sort of next on the list. Um, this is a little bit off topic, but I guess it probably will fit in. What's next for you? for work and are there any books for that that you're I mean first of all can you talk about future projects but also just is there anything that you're reading for work possibly uh well it's it's funny I mean the the next new project I'm I'm doing some things that I have done before but the next new project that I'm doing is uh I'm doing a musical adaptation of the movie Dave uh which is a movie from the 90s it's so funny and dear it's a movie from the 90s with um kevin klein and sigourney weaver okay about a guy who uh as a side job impersonates the president oh wait i do remember that movie it's like a movie that everybody had on their vhs shelf like right next to man of the house (laughs) and beethoven and a league of their own that's right my favorite film ever made it's 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 of that you like know what the poster looks like um and so uh uh Anyway, and he ends up actually swinging in to kind of act as the president in a okay. moment of national crisis. Oh, okay. Um, but it's like a true political satire. Okay. It's very, very funny. Um, and, you know, it's no coincidence that we're doing it in 2018 okay. and we're doing it in Washington, D.C. Okay. Uh, so... Oddly, the the sort of like pa- like the the rabbit hole of it is very similar to the rabbit hole of soft power, mm. uh, though tonally they are very 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 different. Okay. Um, so I'm I'm kind of excited to deep dive into. Um, I kind of I need to do this work for myself. I want to like really read some things that are like this is what it means to be in DC. Okay, like, so listeners, if you have books, this is what it means to be in DC books, and not like Lonely Planet. I'm talking about like, of course, you know, like what is the fire and fury of 20 years ago? Sure. Okay. So send your DC related books to Sam. I'll also put his social media accounts. You can just harass him or you can message me either way. I want to read about the first Bush White House. Ooh. Yeah. Well, didn't Colin Powell have like some great autobiography in the nineties? Oh yeah. I feel that he did. Okay. Um, let's, let's move on. Um, how do you pick your next book? I take a recommendation very seriously. Right. I think that it's a big commitment to to read, you know, 500 pages, especially mm-hmm. if you're working 97 hours a week, mm-hmm, like most mm-hmm. or 97 hours a day as most people are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if somebody's like, you have to read this, mm-hmm. chances are I will do it right away. But I how could, seriously do you take the person into account? 
It depends on how much I like them and how much I well, trust them. Well, no, for them. real, because people will be like, oh my God, you have to read this fiction book. It's so great. And I'm like, no, I don't, because I don't like fiction. And yeah. I don't trust that you understand that about it, me. Yeah, it's definitely... But like, if you, Tracy Thomas, are like, you have to read this book, oh. like that book you recommended the other day, which is called... Men We Reaped. Yep. The Jessman Ward. Yes. It was our fourth episode of the podcast yes everybody read it it's so good it's um, so good like th- like i bought that book two hours okay, later great perfect i um, also bought the book you recommended me that there are things more beautiful than beyonce i saw it on your instagram <laughs> i'm so excited it's so good morgan parker yes um so so i take that super seriously sure. um and then also as i said like work dictates reading assignments sure. and i love that and it also like i'm aware that that's not actually part of my job like i'm not going to get bad marks if i don't do that but it does encourage me to read and right. the recreation of reading is so such so meaningful to me yes, of course. that um that makes me feel like i'm not just a total waste yeah so you take a recommendation seriously what's something that you love to recommend to people uh this is maybe an eye roll okay. but i do especially for young people i recommend patty smith's just kids oh you recommended it to me i've still never read it what i know i didn't take it i that's a book that just did, didn't make me excited i i understand that i mean it's there are things about it that are that can be read as like cliche, but also it's real. Like, and I, I don't know. I think, I think it definitely is in the catcher in the rye category okay. of like, there's a moment to read that book oh, okay. or there's a moment to return to it. Um, but, uh, I rec- I, I always give it to like, if I have young people working with me, I always give that to them as a gift. Mm. Um, I also recommend, uh, free for all, which is the Joe pap, but it's a, the book about Joe pap and the creation of the public theater. Oh, okay. Um, which, is like I believe strongly not entirely for theater people. I think okay. it's it's about um it's about democracy and it's about public art and it's about like what does it mean to have a city that has incredibly diverse and opposing positions and humans and how do you speak to as as broad a group of people as possible, which is right. like my jam. Right. Interesting. Um, um okay, what's a what's the last really good book that someone else recommended to you? I'm embarrassed because I haven't finished it yet because okay. I'm a monster, but uh, my friend Maggie K. Coleman insisted that I read Lincoln and the Bardo, oh, okay. the George Saunders, um, which of course, you know, any uh, people are probably tired of hearing about. People love that book. I won't read it. I don't think it's for you. It's not for me. I can tell. I read the, it's like creative, poet, poetic, <laughs> like historic fiction. I was like, goodbye. I gotta go. I was so excited and then I gave up. Sure. But I think it is. You think it's good. I still? hold the recommendation steady, okay. and I okay. promise I'll finish it. <laughs> what about a good gift? A good book you received as a gift from somebody? Um, I think it's two things. Whoever gave me Martha Graham's autobiography, Blood Memory, mm-hmm. um, like shook me up when I was seventeen. <laughs> like shook me up. Uh, and the other, the other book is um. My friend, the amazing Michael Friedman, who is unfortunately no longer with us, gave me the complete works of James Merrill, who is a poet. And when I got it, I was like, why are you giving me this giant, horrible book of poetry by this, like, white guy from Westchester? And I got, like, three pages in and was convulsively weeping. And uh, it is definitely the book that made me realize that I don't hate poetry Mm. and uh, has continued to be a reference point. And it's also now a book that I always gift people. And whenever I give it to them, they're like, thanks. And you can like tell they're (laughs) going to donate it tomorrow. Uh But it's it's super meaningful. That's nice. That's lovely. Um, Okay. So you don't read poetry. Um, Are there any genres that you 
do well now you do but are there any genres that you love or that you hate um i mean as mentioned i really love books about cults okay i really love yes. books about um like you know weird corners of religion yeah. um it's kind of our the joint studio book club our former book club it's kind of our wheelhouse yeah I love a ve- I love a richly investigated nonfiction, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like rich, rich, rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's I, one that is jumping out? As Co- like- Columbine is the first book that I think about, which oh, I'm so obsessed. That with. That is a book that I recommend, and it is so incredibly good. We read that. That was like our yeah. second joint studio book club book. That's also the name of our book club, joint studio book club, which. It doesn't make any sense to any any of you, but it means something to us, and that's all that matters. Um, And even if we explained it, it wouldn't make sense. It's college stupid things. But anyways, we read Columbine by Dave Cullen. It is amazing. Yeah, it's like the gold standard of that kind of book. I don't know. I I, I don't even know what you would call that genre, but I do feel like it's a genre. Sure. It's like a true crime. Like, it's like... mm. But, but it's like a reflective true crime. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's less about the crime and more about why this happened. And those kind of books are often done after the documents have been unsealed, which was the case with Columbine. Another book that's amazing that falls into that category is Blood in the Water by Heather Ann Thompson. Yes. Did you read it about no, Attica? No, <gasps> Sam, you told me about it. Oh my God, it's so good, you guys. It's huge. When it comes, you're going to be like, why did they recommend this giant book? I'm telling you, I read it in three days. I stayed up overnight. <laughs> I had dreams about Attica. It is in that same line of Columbine where it's like she did all this insane research and then like breaks down the story and gives you motivations and gives you all this information. And it's those kind of books for me personally are the reason that books exist. Yes. Yes. And it's different because it's not reporting. Right. Like it's, uh, uh, under Murakami's Underground is one too. Okay. Where, oh yes, yes, yes. About the, the gas attacks and the yes. Tokyo subways. Like it's not reporting, but you get the the details in a very nonfiction way, and then you get a zoom out, right? And you get what does this mean for humans, yes. and what is the poetry of this, and what is right. the why, and that. Yeah, it is. It's why I read. Yes, it's totally why I read. Everything else that I read is just like filler in between finding yes. these great books. Um, and even another book that's kind of like that. A little bit different, though. It's a little bit more true crime. Is Helter Skelter for sure? It's like an earlier brand of it because Vincent Bugliosi, who wrote it, was the prosecutor on the uh, Charles Manson trial. He has a little bit more of that inside um, information about the case that an author would get after the seals were unfiled or unsealed after the files were <laughs> unsealed later. But it has that same kind of like this is what happened, but also like this is kind of what it means and how it fits into the culture. Yeah. Oh, that's genre. Columbine. That's the genre. That's the genre. It give, I have like What's chills. it called? Maybe the people perfect, will have recommendations. The perfect genre. Yeah. If you guys have more, I know, um, I'll be gone in the dark. The, um, McNamara book about the golden state killer. I know that people feel very strongly about that book. So I'm thinking that it might f- fit in that genre. And there are others. Going clear, the Scientology Going book. Clear. Oh my god! Oh my god! That would have been like the last joint studio book club. Oh. Book. Anyways, okay. Are there any genres that you avoid? Here's the thing. <laughs> it takes a lot for me to read a classic, and I realize that a classic is not a genre. No, it is. But like it, you really have to strong arm me into reading a book that was written before like 1950. Yeah. Um, and that is humiliating, and that is why I will live in my stupidity for the rest of my life. Sure. But like, 
when people are like, you, you haven't read Tale of Two Cities. I'm like, <laughs> I you I will die having not read Tale of Two Cities. The and that would be fine. The only thing that I will read that's old is Shakespeare. It's like if it's Shakespeare or else like was it written in 2005. Yeah. <laughs> it's so embarrassing, but. <laughs> not exactly true, but close. Um, okay. Oh, oh, how do you read? Are you, I think you're a hard, like a real book. Person. I love a book. I yeah. really believe in a book. Um, the thing is I, I'm on airplanes every day. Mm-hmm. And so um, when you're reading giant books, it becomes stupid. Right. So I, I sadly have a Kindle. I love it. It was $50. I'm okay. grateful for it. But if I read a book on my Kindle that I believe in, I then buy the hard copy oh, and I have right. it, which my husband does, not, does like. not like. That's interesting. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Um, okay, so I know you kind of mentioned this a little bit, but it sounds like you like to read on an airplane. I love to read on an airplane. Yeah? Oh my like gosh. I can read, read one else? whole book on an airplane. 
because I live in New York, like transit is really the thing. Okay. Like I, I live in New York and the MTA is run by like kitten, like blindfolded kittens. <laughs> um, so like you can pretty much guarantee that any commute is going to take between like three and five hours. Also, Sam has kittens on his shirt right now. So it's even better. Um, you know, just trying to stay relevant. Yeah, just all ties uh, So, so I, I read the most in transit. Okay. Um, I have a heart. I really like. I if I sit down and I'm not talking, I basically fall, fall asleep, asleep immediately. Okay. So I, 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 I'm not like a cozy up in my book corner. Got like it. that's just called like a bed, okay. and where it's where you that's sleep. Where you sleep. And do you? Um, wait, I forgot my question. I was going to ask you about reading books, kittens, falling asleep. I can't remember. Maybe it'll come to me later. Um, that was good. So being an interviewer is really important. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. What was the last? Oh, perfect. We're laughing. What was the last book that made you laugh? It was Fire and Fury. Okay. It, it's like watching Dynasty. Like okay. It is the trashiest, trashiest most delicious ridiculous were you laughing at the content or were you laughing at the typos because i've heard there's a lot of those (laughs) there are typos it's like the book the first draft of the book was written in crayon okay um (laughs) i was also laughing at the content though like you just it it is so terrifying but also it it was such a release to actually feel like um to, to get this picture of the White House that's basically like a crazy frat house. Got it. Um, with like people running around being like, where are the pencils? There are no pencils. Oh my God. Um, you know, whether it's true or not, it was just like a, it was a, it was a relief. It, okay. Like it felt like I was releasing some kind of tension okay. that I have about our country. Um, what about a, a book, the last book that made you cry? I've mentioned this, but I'm going to tell you, good luck getting through that Comey book without shedding a tear. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because it is it is so much about integrity and it's so much about the things that both like make our country what it is and also are impossible. And uh, it, it, it's sort of the other side of the fire and fury coin. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Okay. What about the last book where you feel like you learned a lot? The, the, I mean, to speak to our like favorite genre, the first book that I think of where I really learned a lot was actually this book outrage that I know we both love, Mm. which is the Vincent Bugliosi book about OJ. Um, and it's, I mean, this is again, like one of the reasons why I love reading. I, I will say until I read that book, I was like, yeah, OJ, but I actually like didn't understand Right. The how and the why or why it was so different than anything that came before it. Like I was, you know, pretty young when it happened. Mm-hmm. So that book put this like massive cultural moment in in a frame for me that I carry with me. Like I actually, sure. I'm not a scholar on OJ, but I actually feel like at a dinner party, I can talk about OJ for 10 sure. minutes. And also we read this book long before the FX show and the documentary. And it was like kind of, I would say it was probably like 2009 that yeah. we read it. So it was kind of long enough after OJ that OJ wasn't that big of a deal in the moment. And it was kind of I think it was maybe even before he was back in jail I for the whole thing. Nobody was talking. Nobody about was OJ. talking about him, and we we loved we loved Helter Skelter, so we picked up a different Vincent Bugliosi book. Um, it is a really good one, and you, I did feel like I learned a lot, and it made more sense. And now seeing all the OJ things that have come recently in the last few years, I frame them through what I learned in 
in the outrage. Yeah, it's also, I just love if I'm like, I'm trying to understand this moment in history. I'm trying to understand this thing. Like, I love starting from a place of like, this is the book that you should read. Yes, totally. To just like, which doesn't mean that you're then going to be a scholar on it. But it but gives like, you a good sense. Yeah. It's like a good grounding. Um, are there any books that you feel proud about having read? I think there's only one answer to that question. Okay. Um, and that is War and Peace, oh which God. I have read more than once. No. Well, because I did this musical. I thought you hated classics. I do hate classics. War and Peace <laughs> is amazing. The okay. Russians are different. Okay. They, they, because they, the Russians throw are down. beloved on this podcast. Every guest so far has said Anna Karenina, Crime and Punishment, yes. now War and Peace, you, the Russians. It's because it is like deep feeling high stakes fast moving they're russian they'll kill you okay, sure i've never read a single russian thing um yeah when i, when I started working on great comet which is an adaptation oh, okay. of war and peace got it obviously i was like i i have to, have read, to this. read war and peace and i i loved it okay and you got a tony nomination for your work on that show so thanks be, tolstoy uh, thanks russians appreciate you um okay what's about what about a book that you're embarrassed to have read i'm just going to tell you that i do own and have read Patti Lapone's autobiography. <laughs> and I actually remember really enjoying it. So something else we've discovered on the show is that the book that you're embarrassed to have read also says a lot about who you are because yeah. generally people pick books that they think don't fit who they are but tend to be exactly who they are. I remember like I remember actually for like a week after I read it, I recommended it to some people and I could tell by the look on their face that I was not allowed to do that. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um what about a book you're embarrassed to never have read? Uh I've never read of Mice and Men. Oh, and I bet. have had so many people tell me that it, it's like their favorite, favorite book. I never read it. Um, I read The Pearl in school and was like, that's enough. So boring. So boring. Gotta go. Oh my. And, um, yeah. So I would, I, I, Of Mice and Men, I think is that and People's History of the United States I've never read. Oh, I did read that. Yeah. That's I know. right up your alley. Too. I know. It's just history. I know. Yeah. It's good. Um, what about a favorite book from childhood? I think the one that I read over and over and over again was Lois Lowry's The Giver, <gasps> which I was obsessed with. Sure. One of the greatest. Yeah. And, and which I think like kind of falls into our mutual love of mm -hmm. like, like underground like cult, cult religion, <laughs> like something's not yeah, right. It was here. a primer for a life sure. of really dark reading. <laughs> I know. I like that. And like Anne Frank, which basically right. leads me to how I am now. Yep. Um, what about a book where you saw yourself reflected back? Um, you know, it's, it's weird. And it's actually, it's funny because it's connected to the Versace book that we're going to talk about. But th when I, I think only about like books about queer coming of age, which okay. is so funny because rarely in my life have I, am I like moving around like I'm, I'm queer. I want to make sure, you know, I, but, okay. <laughs> but, um, there's a, a few books, which I haven't revisited since I was a teenager, but, um, I'm not myself these days. Uh -huh. uh, which is, I think, mm, nope, don't remember the writer. Mm, I'll put it uh, in the show notes. Kirk reads How I Learned to Snap. Okay. And Fun Home, actually. Oh. Um, was that a book before it was a musical? It's a graphic novel. I didn't know that. It is a masterpiece. Um, and I read it long before long it was before. a musical. And they all actually, like, um, I think that if I revisited How I Learned to Snap, I, I think I would be a little like, mm -hmm. but at the time, especially as a gay kid from the South where, <laughs> good luck. Yeah. Um, they just articulated um, a kind of a gritty survival and hilarity that was um, something that I needed at the time that I read them. 
Amazing. Um, okay. Do you have any authors that you love or favorite authors? Um, I, there are authors that when they come out with something new, I will drop everything and read it. I feel okay. that way about Murakami. Okay. Um, like absolutely anything Murakami. Um, I felt for a while, this is like white guy with cool looking glasses answer, but like there was a while where I was like, I'll read anything Dave Eggers does. Okay. I now have like a, like a little bit of a distance from yes. him. Um, I love Dave Eggers, but I also am not, I loved what is the what? And I loved love. Zaytoon. And then I then went and read a staggering work of heartbreaking yeah. genius. And then I was like, I don't like this person anymore. And that's the book that's like about his life. Yeah. Yeah, he has a new book that I'm like flirting with, but I just feel like there's so much other stuff I want to read. That is, yeah, that, that that's how I feel. And I, yeah, I what is the what and Zaytun are definitely the ones. And then I also feel like I've been thinking so much in the last few years, especially with my own work or with performance, um, of like who's telling whose stories. Right. Like what uh, what are the stories that we're telling, and who is supposed to be telling those stories? Right. Not supposed to be like who do I want to be telling those stories? And sometimes with Dave Eggers, who like if Dave Eggers walked in right now, I would be like. I I'm such a big fan, <laughs> yeah. but sometimes I'm a little like, are you the best person to tell that story? Sure. Has somebody else told that story who is closer to that experience? Right. So it's tricky. It's tricky. No, I to I totally agree. I agree with that. I think it's important who tells whose stories and also whose stories do we get presented with, like mm -hmm. through publishing, like why isn't the story that is told to a black woman or a Japanese woman and then, you know, written being published, right? Like, why is it going through the lens of Dave Eggers' white yeah. manness? Well, and it's, it's, it's like, I can say like, what is the, what is one of my favorite books mm -hmm. of all time mm -hmm. because it is. And also I can step back and say like, wow, it kind of sucks that like the only book that I've really read about Sudan mm -hmm. is written by Dave Eggers. Sure. Agreed. Like, Agreed. And that doesn't make that book any less spectacular. No, it doesn't. Well, just not that this book is exactly the same, but um, there's a book that just came out called The Girl Who Smiled, the Girl Who Smiled Beads. And it's uh, written by, her name is Clementine Wayamara, I believe. And she is a Rwandan refugee who travels from Rwanda during the genocide as a child with her little sister, or her big sister, excuse me. She's a little sister. And they go through seven African countries, like from 1994 to 2000. And then they end up in America. And it's her story. And it's written by her and Elizabeth Weil, I believe is her last name. Okay. Um, but it's really good. And it's in that same vein of like a refugee story. But her story is less about the Rwandan genocide and more about what is genocide as a word mean to the greater humanity and like telling your story and finding your words and making. So she's making meaning out of this struggle in a different way. Whereas like I felt the Dave Eggers book is more presented as just it's a story. Yeah, a story. Yeah. And also the thing that's interesting is that her book, Clementine Clementine's book, is um is her and a writer. Whereas the Dave Eggers book is like Dave Eggers wrote this. Which is just yeah, interesting. For sure. It's not his story, but it's like Dave Eggers. Yeah. Like, as told to versus this book is like these two women, one is the writer and one uh -huh. is the storyteller and it's together. And it says both it says Clementine and Elizabeth. Uh -huh. Like it's very clearly there's been a shift since what is the what for sure. to where we are now. For this sure. book came out April like 18th or something. So just I'll like a month ago, it's really good. I have it. You can take my copy. Um, okay. We got, we're almost finished. Um, but I do have some of my favorite questions now. What is 
a book that you would recommend to our current United States president? Not recommend, excuse me. What's a book, if you could, that you would require our president to read? Let me say it that way. Well, of course, my first question is, can he read? No, we don't know. Okay, great. We don't know. But great. he could get we it on did... Audible Oh yeah, with his stacks code. <laughs> um, I, I hope I'm thinking of the right book. Uh, but the first thing that comes to mind is that Dr. Seuss book, The Sneetches. Do you know, know that? that? No. It's so amazing. I, I mean, first of all, like, I want to like, I want to aim low. You yeah, know? I think he could so, handle Doctor Seuss. Um, but it's, I for it, it's basically like how I learned about diversity when okay. I was like seven. Okay. Like it's basically like why does everybody hate the Sneeches just because like their house is not that big? Got it. Um, it's it's amazing. <laughs> it's like total anarchy, and it is. Um, it's like a because it's Doctor Seuss. It's like a really absurd uh, absurd look at it. it it turns a lens on how uh, absurd it is to feel anything other than like total love for people who, uh, you know, don't look like you. Got it. Hello. Hi. Got so, that. you know, maybe see. check that out. Great. Mr. President. Mr. President. Okay. So the last little thing here we do is the diversify books challenge, which is something that I created because, um, as I started being involved in the book community, I realized that a lot of the same books were getting a lot of play and, while not all of them were written by heterosexual, cisgendered white men, many of them were, and many of them were also written by heterosexual, cisgender white women. And so I just wanted to kind of find a way to incorporate different books. Also, a lot of them were fiction, and a lot of them were being sent by these major publishing houses. So books from Harper Perennial were getting all the love, right. et cetera. So I was trying to find a way to kind of bring a little bit more diversity. So with all my diverse guests on the show, I like to talk about diverse books. So you just give me the answer. You don't have to talk too much about the books. Um, what's a book that you love from before social media days? That is most definitely The Fire Next Time, James Baldwin. Mm, so good. Um, a book you love by a person of a different ethnicity from you. Going to go back to Murakami. Great. And it's Elephant Vanishes, which mm -hmm. is short stories. Okay, amazing. Um, what's a book you're looking forward to reading by or about people of color? I am very excited. I just got it to read, tied to what I just said, actually, to read uh, The Fire This Time by Jasmine Ward. Mm, you know, she's beloved on this podcast by me. Love her. Yeah. Love her. Um, a book you love that you rarely hear people talk about. Uh, this does not fall under the diversity category. It's okay. It doesn't have to fall under diversity. Um, great. Uh, the the book that I love that I rarely hear people talk about is DV, which is... Uh, mm. Diana Vreeland's autobiography, okay. who like founded the Costume Institute at the Met. Is she a lady? She is a lady. Well, that's diversity. The first sentence <laughs> of the book is, I loathe nostalgia. Perfect. And it sort of goes from there. Got it. Um, a book you love from a genre that you don't normally read, and then whatever that genre is. Yeah, my first answer would be Persepolis. Oh, a lot of people actually said that on Instagram. Um. I, I mean, Persepolis and Fun Home are the only graphic novels that I have a relationship okay. to, and that book like messed me mm -hmm. up and the form of it felt so essential. Okay. Um, I love that. I don't usually go for go graphic a graphic novel. thing. Okay. Yeah. Great. Do you have anything else that you want to say to the people today? Sam Finkelton. Tracy Thomas is the reason that I read. <laughs> Tracy Thomas is the like reading tsunami 
of America. <laughs> Wait, the most hilarious thing is that. every time I ask anybody to say anything else, they all talk about me. Like, what about you? Yeah, because I feel like you've like mobilized <laughs> the, a community of readers. I appreciate it. That's my only goal in life <laughs> is to just make more people read and talk about books. So that's amazing. Um, we're all set for now. We will be back next week talking about Maureen Orth's book, Vulgar Favors, The Assassination of Gianni Versace. Um, so yes, go to your Audible Get your free trial, audibletrial.com slash the stacks, and we will see you next week. Bye. All right, everybody, that does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Sam for being our guest. Also, make sure that you're subscribed to the stacks wherever you get your podcasts. And if you get us through iTunes, please rate and review the show. We also would love to hear from you. So feel free to contact us through our website, which is www.thestackspodcast.com. There are links in the show notes and also on the website for all of our social media handles. And we'd love to hear from you whichever way you like the most. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright. Our theme music comes from Tagirajis. And this show, The Stacks, was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. Thank you all so much for listening. And I will see you in The Stacks. <laughs>